Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. You are listening to Missed Apex Podcast. We live. F1. Welcome to Missed Apex Podcast, and this is, in some ways, a live show, as I'm joined by four of the Missed Apex panel, first of whom is Matt Turumbis. How's it going there, Matt? Summer break in spring. What is happening? Yeah, man, and you are here. I can touch you with my hand. Look, I'm jabbing you right now. Uh, that's going to be a lawsuit. Yeah, so Matt is here in England, and uh, welcome to England. Firstly, I hope you're enjoying our rain and our shoddy public transport. I am. I, I was just talking about it with the patrons on the Slack commentary that not only did I get a small gale the size of a large gale ruining my plans on Wednesday, but subsequently I had a train disruption ruining my plans on a Thursday, so... I'm impressed that that the country managed to get me here today. But nothing will get in the way of our plans to discuss the F1 news this week. We are joined by our race analyst, Jeansy Van Jean. Hello, Alex. Hello. I can see you in real life. I'm I'm the first time in the shed and I'm very, very happy to be here. Yeah, and I have. This is the first time I've ever invited you to my home or, in fact, anyone for the last six years and you've instantly reminded me why i don't want people around my house you've criticized my brake setup my the way i run my sim it's mostly sim related it is mostly sim related however what you don't realize is if you let us correct those things you'll go faster okay and i think that will upset matt more than anybody else okay so well i adjust to the horror of having real human beings in my house let's bring on our third panelist we have got tiktok sensation antonia rankin here with us hello antonia Hi. Yeah, I'm in the podcasting shed voluntarily and I'm not being kept here against my will. Please stop making kidnap jokes. (laughs) Somebody will call the police. And uh, shouting from the gallery as well, we're pleased that Carl Power is joining us too. Hey, Carl. Hey, man. Nice to be sat here on the edge. I will maybe interject of some very insightful and definitely not offensive comments later on. Okay, so my main my main job for you, Carl, if that's okay, is keep us topped up with whiskey and just listen to the topics and let the anger start to brew through you. And when you feel you're at bursting point, feel free to jump in. He's been demoted to showrunner, basically. <laughs> Angry showrunner that can explode at any moment. Let's get on with the Big Dirty News. Big Dirty News. I think the first topic on the big dirty news, Matt, is why on earth is there no Formula One? We've now gone 47 weeks without an F1 race and I'm sad. Look how desperate I am that I've brought the Mistake Apex panel to my home where I ablute in, in boredom because there is no Formula One. Four weeks is too much, but already people are starting to say, well, maybe we should do this every single year. Well, it's an interesting turn of events that was really predicated on the fact that China decided they didn't want to race after all. And uh, Formula One decided that they didn't want to bother replacing the race that China wasn't going to have 
And then the teams probably looked at it and said, hey, you know what? A four-week break after the first three races might be kind of useful because that's actually longer than the officially specified summer break, but with the advantage that the teams can be made to work day and night solving problems. Yeah, and the thing is, now we've got more time for the teams to solve problems. I suppose Red Bull is the only team that is probably sitting there going, oh man, let's just keep racing while we've got this advantage. They're there with abacuses and, and, and slide <laughs> rules because they can't use their computers anymore due to the penalty. Yeah. Just making more and more chicken wings and, <laughs> and kind of stuff. eggplant sandwiches. But no, I'm, I'm very much missing F1. I'm like, oh, it's race week. Oh, no, it's not. And I'm really gutted that we haven't got China because the Chinese Grand Prix is one of oh. my favorite circuits. Yes. It always yeah. produces such awesome racing. And I was really excited to have it back after, what, three years that it's been off the calendar. Yeah. And then it gets cruelly taken away from us again. So look, a bit of a tangent, really, because there's two tracks that we're missing from that part of the world as well, with Sepang, the Malaysian Grand Prix, oh, and China. Yeah. And when people start complaining about the, the, the new Tilkadrome tracks, you look at those two and you go, my goodness, those are tracks that are so suited to the modern F1 car that have really interesting things. So that double straight in, in Malaysia, in Sepang, uh, if you remember 2013, Nico Rosberg and Lewis Hamilton there, where, where eventually, yeah, they were swapping so often, just had to stop and say, Nico, do you not realise how much we just paid for McLaren's superstar driver? Could you please chill out? And then Hamilton looking so embarrassed on the podium after that. And, and then China, I think, just turn one in China with that decreasing radius, right-hander going out into the left-hander. Was it Kvyat and Vettel? Yeah, where, where he got the tor- where he got the torpedo moniker. Indeed, yeah, I love that turn. Go on, Carl. But it wasn't actually a bad move. Looking back, like Vettel blamed him. Kvyat got a lot of stick for that move, but it was never actually a bad move. He actually put up the and it was Vettel overreacting to his move that actually created the problem where he hit Kimi. Yeah, and this actually was before the days of whose fault was it. But I agree with (laughs) you. The more I looked at it, the more I really felt like it was Vettel. Much like Alonso on signs could be argued in Australia, it was a very similar kind of thing where Kvyat was really, at best, it was a proper start of the race racing incident and probably a bit on Vettel, if you ask me, based on my memory and not actually looking at things. But that really was the start of the end for him at Red Bull. I think it was more the fact that um, Vettel was annoyed that he hit his own teammate. I think that was more the point, the fact that he swerved out and has caused both his teams, both his car, both cars in his team damage. Um, he was saying that if he hadn't moved, Kvyat probably would have hit him, which may have been accurate, but it's a first lap incident. If you leave a door open that wide like he did, someone like Kvyat, who has a point to prove... Is going to try and shove himself in it, and and actually that was like the end of Kvyat's career in a way, isn't it? Because the, he got he got deemed to have been like too much of a ping pong ball, and that is what unleashed Verstappen and, and Antonio. Were you watching around then? God, I must have been. I think my dad's been forcing me for long enough. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. but no. The point here being, there's a lot of circuits that we're missing from the calendar that have yes. historically brought us such fantastic races. I mean, for me, Hockenheim is a really big one. I would kill to have a German Grand Prix. I don't know why we don't have one. But there's a lot of circuits where actually I would put them on the calendar that we don't have right now. I mean, South Africa, Hockenheim, there's there's so many, aside from just the Chinese Grand Prix, that we've been unfortunate enough to lose this year. The the two German tracks, just the Nürburgring and the Hockenheim, and 
the Hockenheim, <laughs> the Nürburgring and Hockenheim themselves, are two absolutely phenomenal circuits. The reason we don't have the German Grand Prix is mm. the Germans have turned off Formula One. They this haven't is... got a, they haven't got a hero to cheer for anymore. They never took Seb Vettel on as a hero after losing Schumacher. And it just never came back. So it was never a financially viable option for them. So the narrative that I always get spun is that Michael Schumacher really appealed to like working class German fans. Yeah. And that Vettel was seen as maddeningly now seen as a little bit more of a, a, a rich kid or a middle class kid. But if you compare him to like Lando Norris, Latifi, Sargent, you really Vettel could be argued to be you know, very much making F1 look like a meritocracy from the background he came from. But for some reason, Antonia, they never quite adapted to him. And then with Schumacher out, you know, you, from a marketing point of view, F1 is a bit vulnerable to does that market have a home fan to cheer for? Oh, for sure. Exactly. And I think one of the home reasons driver. that yeah. Lewis Hamilton is such a huge hit is people respect his journey as a driver and as a person to the position he's in today but I think looking into the future, generally speaking, money is more than ever a huge, huge focus of why drivers get their seats. I mean, there was so much debate last year about um, various drivers being in their seats, whether they should have them or not, whether they're pay drivers. And I mean, if it's going in that direction with tracks as well, where the money's at, you know, obviously, historically, that's always been a thing, whether they can afford to host a Grand Prix or not. Uh, yeah, and that's what Malaysia is saying. We yeah. basically, we can't afford to do that. Uh, sorry, go on, jump in, Kyle. Yeah, there's another aspect to the Malaysian Grand Prix bit is the local government. They kind of very much fell out of love with Formula One. It wasn't bringing them the revenue that they wanted or the exorbitant charges that they were being charged to host it. MotoGP, they have fully embraced and they that's why they changed the final two corners. Do you remember they put this weird camber on? We had it the last season, which I believe was 2017, the Formula One we had there. They had the very strange cambers on the final corners. They put that in for the motorbikes because the local government very much fell out of love with Formula One. And that's, and that's why. And I think they tried to use it as a power play to get a cheaper deal. And they didn't get that cheaper deal, so they just withdrew Formula One from there. What have I told you about making my podcast about MotoGP? I'm, I'm so sorry, that microphone away from I am him. so <laughs> sorry, Matt. Well, I, and it's worth getting in. Like, if I'm remembering the timeline correctly, this was still Bernie yes. at the time. So, so everyone's favorite game right now is to blame Liberty for everything. But some things, in fact, go back a bit beyond that. Completely agree. I think the current culture of F1 being quote-unquote money-centred actually began in the Eccleston era of Formula <gasps> One. No. Very firmly, actually. Um, starting with putting F1 on pay-to-view services, you know, for example, Sky Sports taking it off of various TV channels where it was free to access. I think that marked the beginning of a very marked era in F1 of going where the money is and upholding the kind of luxury feel of the sport. And actually, until... Drive to Survive, oh gosh, uh, am I allowed to bring up, bring up Drive to Survive? I'm sorry. Yes, <laughs> yes you are. <laughs> Until Drive to Survive, because this yeah. was happening, because F1 was moving more and more towards yeah. being so money-centered and pay-to-view, viewer numbers had not, had started to dwindle. I mean, it was decreasing and decreasing year by year until the release of Drive to Survive in, I believe, 2019? 2018 filmed it, filmed was the first season to be covered. Yes, released, so in, released 2019. in 2019. Yeah, yeah but... But that's why, actually, we yeah we can't blame Liberty Media for everything or <laughs> or much at all because the dire- direction that F1 was headed in anyway 
it just drive to survive just made it a viable direction because it then had the audience to be able to justify these money oriented decisions whether you like liberty or not whether you like dts or not it has undoubtedly brought more eyeballs to formula one therefore more money therefore the sport keeps going and it's also put some of the bigger you know the bigger oil rich countries who've put tracks in them putting the money in and spending the amount of money that they have to pay has helped keep places like silverstone on the calendar because Mm. if it wasn't for the big saudi money and things like that we would might we might have lost silverstone we might have lost some of the other small hungary for example i've actually heard from people who've done trainings at silverstone that a hundred percent their fortunes reversed with drive to survive they they went from maybe, as you say, Jeansy, not making it, not having a chance of making it, to just being completely there now and able to put on really proper world-class events. And it's all because the audience has come from Drive to Survive. Not that that doesn't bring negatives with it, too, because nothing is perfect. But on the whole, being able to maintain these tracks because we have these audiences now is probably a good thing. Yeah, I completely agree. I think with the Drive to Survive crowd coming into F1, a new era of F1 definitely begun. But that being said, the focus of F1 has therefore shifted towards the younger audience, which has more of an eye towards the big events and the clashes and the drama, you know, and that's not a bad thing necessarily at all. However, in my generation, generally, I've noticed compared to the older generations oh, forgive me forgive on. me really? in his own house <laughs> oh. in his own there, house there is more of you know we 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 like instant gratification in terms of it's fun to watch an f1 race where something is constantly happening and i think that's right. a lot of what the drive to survive necessarily oriented crowd are looking for yeah so look as much as that might seem stereotypical there is some truth to the fact that uh, there's a big divide in this room where like obviously like matt you're about as old as Moses. So you grew up in a world where there was just far less entertainment. And it's not unfair to say that there was much less entertainment when Matt was a kid. And Matt used to go along the street with a hoop and a stick. And he'd go along pushing the hoop and a stick and there'd be an old man in the corner saying, oh, these kids staring at their hoop and their stick. Um, I'm probably the last generation that grew up without screens in front of their face all the time. And thankfully, I'm the last generation whose nights out weren't documented in their 20s. So I've gotten away with it. And just over the table with guys in their, their late 30s and the appallingly young Antonio Rankin, <laughs> who is uh, 19, turning 20 soon. Um, th- it's not unfair to say that our generation just has lower expectations for all-out constant action. Whereas the bar to entertain someone like Ranko it is a little bit higher that's your nickname don't fight it i'm gonna fight it a little bit but i will do so off camera because i have strong opinions about that nickname <laughs> yeah. I, yeah no and that that this isn't me making a sweeping generalization in any negative way at all i genuinely my generation it's just a different way of consuming media yes. and i also think if you were to have got into f1 through dive to survive you'll have been introduced into the sports through the dramatics necess- yeah. and i'm not at all saying that all fans from Drive to Survive only want the drama, only want X, Y, Z. However, I think that's why now looking into the future, there's a lot of discussion about sprint races and about changing the formats of the race weekend because that contributes more to the show and makes it more engaging. And that's where we're going. And I think, Matt, uh, fans like you and I, we we do need to concede. We've lost this battle. It's never going to go back to... 
uh, nap time Formula One. Formula One is never going to be a nap sport again for us. No, and, and there's no reason for it to. With this regulation set, with this emphasis on reliability, there's no reason for it to be, oh, uh, look, someone is, oh, they've lapped the field three times. And, you know, half the cars blew up, they lapped the field three times, and seven people finished. Hang that's on. no longer the paradigm for this sport, and that's okay. Statler and Waldorf need to get in over there. Because you never know when they're going to throw a safety car with six laps to go and then decide it's a red flag just to have a sprint race <laughs> at the end of the race. We um, can but, have this but, discussion. But the other thing where um, F1 is helping motorsport in general along with all of this, I've got perfect anecdote with this. A friend of the family, they got into F1 through Drive to Survive. I mean, when I was away with them last year, I, did, they, I had to tell them who Jensen Button was. That's how new they are to yeah. the sport. But they have bought loads and loads of merch. He's bought a sim and doing sim racing he's going go-karting they've booked a holiday to spain to go to catalonia and drive an f3 car now they never would have done that and that is all putting back into motorsport all because of a netflix tv show yeah that's a very good point and it's great to have new fans into the sport but for the current fans that were already there and spanners made a good sort of point i did didn't I? with whatever it with, was yeah too <laughs> yeah. much of a good thing Don't makes too much makes the thing become less good if you know what i mean so so yeah. we kind of said the same when it was drs the drs overtakes there's 30 drs overtakes are they as good as one genuine overtake well you could argue that till the cows come home but we have DRS now and we're stuck with it. But the, uh, personally, from, for me, I don't like the drive to increase the number of races. And I've said this numerous times, Grand Prix, Grand Prize, the big prize. The name is the clue is in the name with all these sprint races, trying to dilute it so much it, to get all these extra fans in and provide explosions every five seconds for them. Like that really to the point it gets to a point where, you know, we shouldn't dilute the actual product. We still have a great product. And oh, if you have disagree. too many, too many good things, mm. it makes them less good. Okay, if so you know I, what I mean? So I, we need yeah. the, we too need all, yeah, exactly. Too much of a good thing. And I don't like the drive to increase the races because it makes each individual race less special in its own right. All, all I'll say, because I know that there's going to be maybe me and Antonia disagreeing here, is that I would choose to only have 16 or 17 races on a weekend. And I know my family would choose that uh, on, on, <laughs> on a, th throughout a season. Um, but that is my outer sensible me. Like deep down, I I do actually want thirty five races a year. See, I don't. Like, yeah, well, that's because I'm a better fan than you. <laughs> oh, <I'd, laughs> ooh, you're, you're a better consumer than right, me. Take oh, away the whiskey. <laughs> take away. No, no, don't you dare. <laughs> no, 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 no. So, um, no, no. Say twenty. I think is probably the perfect balance. Sixteen. I think is too less. I remember back in 1999 when it was sixteen races and we had a five week gap between the first and the second race, the and it was hell. You're in the war, <laughs> <laughs> Antonia. Antonia. Yeah, go, going back to what we were saying before, I have to say, I, I love what DTS has done for the sport. It's brought so many hugely passionate fans who know their stuff, who genuinely love F1, who love the racing, who love the cars, who love, you know, the stories behind the drivers. And it's so fantastic to have fans in the sport who care so much about it that it's forced us to actually rethink the way we have a sport because it's such a force. We need to remind ourselves to be honest how privileged we are to have fans who care enough yeah. about the sport that we want to change it and have more of it and as much of it as possible even if that would mean diluting 
in some people's words. Kyle's. The sport. <laughs> yeah, okay, not to name names, but it was Kyle that said yeah. that. No, no, Kyle, no, come on. You're, you're, about... you're gatekeeping us getting more oh, entertainment. Don't you dare. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, no, about 20 races, I think, is about the sweet spot. Is about nice. It's not I diluting agree. or gatekeeping. Not trying to make it 25 or 30 races, go and watch NASCAR. I, I completely under, I do completely understand your point from a from a logistics perspective, from a sustainability perspective, but also these poor drivers and teams who have families to see exactly. and lives to live. Completely understand. Oh, but, I don't care about them at uh, all. But, uh, there is a but. Goodness, yeah, they're gracious. just Derek's, aren't they, Spanish? Yeah, <laughs> they get paid for that. NPCs, yeah, no. However, I will say I think. I really enjoy the concept of F1 being a world championship. I love the idea that we can have races all over the world. And that's why I think going into the future, we can look at having races appear on a biannual basis, you know, races swapping in in the calendar so that we've got one year we have Monaco, the next year we don't have it. And then it comes back again every two years. Still too much Monaco. I'm a Monaco fan. Oh my Do not interrupt oh my, my speaking. Well, there goes the whole Monaco. discussion. Good. Have I just we're, completely we're, we're Monica, lost my we're, credibility? We're the Monaco yeah. side of the room. They're the anti-Monaco you, you side You know what? This sounds Alex. like a bunch of people who are very bitter not what? to be going to the Grand Prix. Look, I'm fine. Uh, if, if, if we go back to cross-play tyres... <laughs> If we go back to cross-play tyres <laughs> and cars that aren't longer than Ford F-150s, then fine. Then fine. Okay, okay. So I'm sensing this conversation is stalling, but my point being... My point being, you know, the, uh, go, looking forwards, it would be great to have as many races as possible. Yeah, but we are so lucky to have such passionate fans joining the sport, young fans as well, who are going to love the sport for a lifetime. And if that means we have to, you know, some of us veteran supporters have to tolerate <laughs> a few more sprint races, you know what? I'll take it. Veteran. She means you, Matt. Uh, yeah, she does. So, look. 20 races, 24 races, somewhere in there lies a very good balance for the sport. But what's interesting to me is is where we are with the actual sprint race argument now because it turns out that if you give the teams enough money, they're all in favor of the sprint races. But do you know who's still not a fan? This is Max Verstappen. And I, I thought this was hilarious because – So interesting, yes. Yeah. Well, his point – and I think it's an interesting point. Like, like, because now uh, they haven't fully confirmed the details, but the plan, as far as I understand it, is for the qualifying Friday to set the grid for Sunday, which was one of our biggest complaints yep. here in the shed, and that for the sprint race on Saturday to be essentially its own event. My only issue, and I think the, the one tweak they could make, is just make it a sprint race championship. Don't let the sprint race decide also points for mm. the whole chapter, especially when it's only six of them a year or however many they're doing this year. Just let them have those as their separate championship. Then they can do it every single race weekend, as far as I'm concerned, if it's its own separate championship and do it in reverse championship order. But then do we then have four coexisting championships? Yeah. Do we have do those do then they count towards the constructors and there's only one constructors but two different drivers' championships? I feel like that can very quickly get quite you know, I complete. I completely see what you mean because I think it's a different type of racing. Okay. But then, wouldn't that in its if you're putting a lot of focus on the quick races, is that then in itself its own racing series, maybe with different drivers? Can we just set quickly that it is a reality now these sprint races? And when they first started doing them, we I think we made the point here that 
this isn't this isn't them asking us politely whether or not we would like sprint racing to be introduced into Formula One. This is how quickly can we introduce sprint racing before people like really get upset. So this is the frog in the boiling pot. The norm for sprint weekends for, for weekends of F1 are going to involve some kind of smaller race. I've decided I'm going to stop crying about the fact that yeah. f1 is throwing in sprint races it's not it's not worth it because it will just fall on deaf ears and we just sound like the old farts who don't who, <laughs> exactly. who don't want who don't want things to cool. change but they could do it in such a way where it can be less of a gimmick i think just lobbing it in i mean they should i mean the fact that it is three weeks before the race and we actually don't know what the format is going That's to be by the way yeah because mm. they don't know that excitement they that's, that's not ex- that's poor planning there is nobody who wants that situation to be happening at the moment but no but max verstappen's been basically saying if they keep going on this sprint route and i'm not enjoying it i don't want to be in f1 anymore small from antonio then kyle please i i find max's comments really interesting because in on one hand i completely understand where he's coming from if f1 as he knows and loves it is changing as someone who is ridiculously good he very much has the right to be like well I don't want to race in that because that's not what I signed up for but in another way it almost seems like that's him kind of throwing his weight around a little bit being like well it's (laughs) you can either have sprint races or you can have me pick me choose (laughs) me love me (laughs) Kyle Power and by the way lean in a little bit so the camera can see you Kyle Come this way. Yeah, there you go. Look, look, look. Alex look. is quite a comfy. <laughs> he makes okay. a good pillow. Kyle, Gosh, I'll move over, you guys. <laughs> Kyle Power is now sitting on Alex Van Gene. <laughs> yeah. um, He's still got his hand on my knee. Oh, no, that's not moving Maybe while I'm in this position. Um, <laughs> uh, so with the sprint race thing, I can actually be a fan of him. I agree with what Alex said. Um, even though my hand is on his leg, which is a bit awkward. You're making um, it so hard yeah. to edit. <laughs> um, yeah, so they're here to stay. So why not make every race? So the thing I I really have a gripe with, the inconsistency, that yeah. some races are weighted more than others and it goes to championship and it doesn't really make much sense and it's not really that fair in the fact that some races, some cars are more suited to some circuits than others. So you're saying that a Mercedes could go to, you know, we're talking yesteryear, so a Mercedes could go to a Monza and they're going to dominate and that will be a sprint race. That's not very fair on Red Bull, is it? Equally, if we go to like a Monaco and that's a sprint race, then Monaco, it favours Red Bull. So why not make every race a sprint race? It's here. Let's embrace it. This is exactly, and I hate to bring this up again, but this is exactly what MotoGP have done this year. Every single race is a sprint race. And it doesn't uh, impact the main Grand Prix race. Have you done it again? He's turned it it into MotoGP. It's accentuating my point. So (laughs) basically... Every race has a sprint race and it doesn't affect the main championship. That's that's fine. So just 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 don't do it tiny little bits. Do it completely or not at all. I agree. Either get rid of it or do it totally. Yeah. But and, and the answer is totally. That's the the spoiler. The, the answer is yeah. totally the sprint schedule is set. Yeah. And teams who design cars that do crappy at sprint races have written their own ticket. They have chosen to be better at other circuits. Like, for example, Baku, I believe, is the first sprint race. And there will be very clearly circuit-specific advantage for certain teams. Williams. Like 
Triple DRS. We discussed <laughs> that on the we discussed that on the tech show. I was listening to you today. It's why I brought you up. But 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 you get my point. Like if I'm designing a car and I know the sprint races are going to be this, these particular six tracks, and then I design a car that is terrible at those six tracks, why is that Formula One's fault? It seems like to me that's kind of like the team's fault for designing a car that's terrible where there's extra points to be won. I agree and I disagree. I I'm a big fan. Well, of... now wait a minute. Oh goodness! Can't have so both. I know I'm not allowed to sit on Gen the fence Z. on this show. It's, it's difficult. I I like to please everyone. So here's my two chains of thought. In one mind, I like the standardization format, wherein yeah, yeah. every weekend if we're going to do sprint races, sure, let's do it. Every single weekend we have a sprint race, and then it's not unfair against any specific teams. But then that runs on the other hand. That's losing F1 as we know it, which from a marketing perspective, from the fans' perspective, that's just so not ideal because if you change too much of F1 at once, obviously fans aren't going to react well to that. You the know, marketing so- will love that because it gives them more to do and gives them more to push and puts more eyeballs on the sport. Everything else I agree with, but the marketing side, yeah. it's actually gold for the marketing. But to have also, stuff I would hate... I would hate for drivers, you know, Max Verstappen has said he doesn't like the format, and that's fair enough, because if they completely change everything that they also know and love about F1, you know, forget the fans for a second, bear in mind the drivers, what they've raced for, what they've trained for their whole lives, if we throw in a sprint race as well and they're against that, we could be at risk here of losing generational talents like Verstappen, which would be the biggest, biggest shame. I'm sorry that you believe that for even half a oh, second. Gosh. He's not going to walk away until he wins as many championships his as Hamilton. Really? Yeah. No, but but I do want to bring up, and, and I think his criticism of the sprint races is fair. And I love the fact that years after I said, because I said this very early on, the sprint race should be its own championship. In the Tour de France, we have the green jersey. We have the yellow jersey. We have the polka dot jersey. They're their own category. Some people no, race for the no. overall win. Some people race for those specific jerseys. And it makes it more exciting because almost every day of the tour, which is 28 days, which is more days than we have races in Formula One, there is something that is up for grabs. Some jersey could potentially change hands. So the idea of the sprint race is its own championship is fun. But I do want to bring up Max's criticism, which I do believe is fair, which is that fundamentally, the stress that that extra race places on the teams isn't something that these teams were designed to deal with long term and his suggestion and i'm curious to get people's reaction to it was that if you want that then let's just do saturday sunday one practice qualifying race the next day especially because i mean the other reason i think max and red bull would not want the sprint races and extra races thrown in at the moment when perez might win wait no well perez might win but also (laughs) pretty much pretty much Every single race weekend this year, they have had to nurse some sort of issue. Gearbox. They, they have, they have what looks like a very sensitive and maybe delicate car, which isn't being pushed. But if they are pushed in something like a sprint race, where everyone will be hammer and tongs straight out the gate, that could put them under more pressure. But also, I'm assuming if they're going to do sprint races in every single race, they're going to have to do more gearboxes, more engines. In Last location. quick points, Kyle, then Antonio. So going back to Antonia's point she made 
a couple of points ago was that you know if you start changing around of the fundamentals of the sport too much you will start losing the core essence of the sport and what the fans are to me the very introduction of sprint races was that they are here you've already messed around with the fundamentals yep, that yep, has yep, yep, already yep. happened so and it's not going away we know Stefano Dolacali is just <laughs> cashing in on it all so that's what he wants oh was Ooh. that a slight slip of tongue was that oh. I'm sorry um, you've got to be yes. careful, I've noticed Kyle. when you write his name, you put a dollar sign. I can sign. already tell what's about to get edited <laughs> um, out of this show. The lawyers are already on the phone. <laughs> yeah. that, that has already happened, So, and it's not going anywhere. So this is my original point, was let's just embrace it. Let's make it straight across the board. Why don't put more merit on other races let's have a sprint race in every single race this is me embracing sprint races let's yeah. have them everywhere yeah, Antonia and your generation needs to get on board I think my if I'm completely honest I think my generation would be very much on board I think I think your generation caused it <laughs> I'm sensing yeah. some tension here. well since we're talking generations it's come to my attention some people think that Jim Clark is the best driver ever and that some people in this very shed might, for some reason, disagree with that statement. Here we go. Hi, my name is Richard Reddy, and I want to talk to you about an increasing cult that is growing within Formula One social media. There is a roving band of 20-somethings that are increasingly saying that Jim Clark is the greatest driver they have ever seen. And Jim Clark is the greatest driver that has ever graced Formula One, all whilst having been born in 2012 or some such thing. Now, I am not here to tell you that Jim Clark was terrible. In fact, I'm far too young at 43. Uh, hang on, hold on my 42 to really have a good opinion of what Jim Clark was. I didn't watch it in real time, but I have noticed this drumbeat of people who have started making their entire personality that Jim Clark is the greatest ever Formula One driver without ever having sat through a, a Jim Clark uh, race in real time. So what I would like to get across to my panel here is a simple question. Is it possible for a driver from the 60s or 70s to compare to modern era drivers? Is it possible to compare across the generational, uh, the generational gap? And is Jim Clark worthy of being put up there? Now, there's lots of hands that have gone up around my crew. And I will state my, my, my initial premise for this, which is deeply unpopular, is that Lance Stroll would probably be better than any driver around the Senna and before era. So you put 22 Lance Strolls from this era into an Ayrton Senna championship and Ayrton Senna looks ordinary. It's not a popular opinion, but it's the one I have. Rankin. I'm going to say something that might blow a few minds. Statistics without context are just numbers. They are you know, you can say Jim Clark had this many championships, this many pole position to win ratios. That's great, but it's in a complete, it's almost a different sport yes, that we're in absolutely. now. It, you know, we, he was one of the greatest at the time. A fantastic driver, deserves every drop of merit, legend of our sport. But if you put him in a modern F1 car and said drive, 
First of all, he'd say, "How am I here?" But secondly, <laughs> he wouldn't have to get out of the pit lane. No, he would. He wouldn't have Put the foggiest. Put me back. Why are you people always meddling yeah, in the know, timeline? We, it, yeah. Well, exactly. You know, we can look at all of these statistics, even comparing cl- close eras. You know, looking at Verstappen's start to his career versus Lewis's start to his career mm. in a sport like F1, where things change so rapidly, and we're so. Every single season, there's advances upon advances. Mm. You have to appreciate someone within their own own achievements yeah. and in their own rights. And I think, you know, it's like we, we say, even on day to day with races, you can't even compare the drivers who were in different cars in the same race because they're in different cars. We say the only way to fairly compare two people is teammates. Yeah. And back in those days... The cars were very, very different mm. compared to, you know, the, the cars are a million times closer now than they ever were. But, but every, every generation of F1 has had its driver that has pushed the, has pushed the, the ability forward. So yes. you have Jim Clark, who absolutely, at his time, was the best in his time. He handed um, that torch over to Jackie Stewart. Then after Jackie Stewart went to Nicky Lauda. After Nicky Lauda, it was probably Alain Prost. Alain Prost to Ayrton Senna, Ayrton Senna to Schumacher, and to the guys we have today. Yeah. And, and let, 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 let's, just... let's add that. Let's add that basically with so, Schumacher, everybody had to be at least as good as Schumacher to be in contention in future generations. So, so I don't want to say Michael Schumacher was fighting bums, but that he made everybody else who he was racing seem like bums and change the sport and I think Lewis Hamilton did that too so you've got to now be at least Lewis Hamilton level if you've got a chance of breaking in and um question does anybody in here hold Jean Lacy as one of the greatest drivers of all time no no No. exactly right so I was listening to an interview with Jonathan Palmer Jonathan Palmer when he was in F1 Jean Lacy joined his team and as and by Jonathan Palmer's words blew John Alace blew Jonathan Palmer away. And he and at that point Jonathan Palmer knew he was kind of no longer for the sport because guys like John Alacy were coming in. And then you're getting the people like the Senners and stuff. So you're always going to have those people that are going to get better and better and better. I mean, Jonathan Palmer, perfect example, has an okay F one C V. He trained as a doctor before going anywhere near a racing yes. car. Yeah, yeah. You know, um, it's the fitness levels that you couldn't put a Jim Clark in a car of today because they're just not fit enough to deal with those kind of things. The fitness alone, you know, the argument you get from we're going back to the Jim Clark fans that you have at the moment that I have been personally attacked by. Um, they talk about, oh, well, he had to, they had to do manual gear shifts and they had to match the clutches and all this kind of, and all this kind of stuff. And it's like, yeah, okay, but the modern drivers are skillful enough. Not only would they be able to deal with that if they had to, but they have to control an entire computer while driving around a track at 200 miles an hour at 6G, um, which, as far as I'm concerned, is a little bit more difficult than having to shift gears. Yeah. I think it's a very valid argument. Um, I can see why people online would go and look at the LD era and look at the stats. I mean, try to go back and watch a full race from the 1960s. You can't. <laughs> yeah, basically, you can't. So um, it's really hard. I do actually have personally some footage of quite a lot of old school sort of uh, races. Go and, go and they watch Hockenheim, so a, a Hockenheim race in the <laughs> 90s and sit through yes. that. That's the challenge. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I completely agree that like, of course, Elder Rose, it's the same with tennis or most sort of sports. And, but, but 
you know, most sort of physical sports, it evolves. People are brought up from a very young kids. You know, back in the 1950s when Fangio and people were racing and in the 60s when Clark was racing, that they weren't brought up as sports. They were like, they were like, they were like, you know, 30, 40 year old guys getting into sport, hobbymen, journeymen. They'll be classed as now. They'll be in the GTE class or GTE AM class at, yeah. at Le Mans or a program. Yeah. But my biggest gripe is, so that's why I hate the term GOAT. <coughs> Greatest of all time. I hate it. Because you can't. <laughs> no, no, because you can't. You can never, yeah. ever define it. So I prefer it's spelled G-O-T-E. Greatest of their era. That is more correct. Okay. So, of course, Jim Clark is probably greatest no. of his era, is he? Yeah. Like, but that's so much more boring, Kyle. Yeah, yeah. No, but it's so much more correct. Kyle, it logical. Is. Stop, it stop is. trying to make fetch happen. Now, look, I know Matt's been really, really patient because Matt is patiently trying to make an incorrect point. And, and now's, your, now's your moment. Oh, you don't know what point I'm about to make, uh, which yes, is what I, I love about you. Because we argue all the time. We do. Um, it, it's a movie reference, Kyle. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's Mean Girls. How are mean you not girls. Seen Kyle mean hasn't seen Mean Girls. Oh, oh, look, like, that is so fetch. Anyway, have you not seen that? Anyway, uh, I, I want to go oh, back to dog. Antonia's point because she, amongst all of you, has been the most correct. I feel like that's not groundbreaking. That's wow. pretty regular on this show. Yeah, oh, it is. <laughs> okay. But uh, wow, let's consider oh. that the cars that Jim Clark. And those of his era, Dan Gurney, Ascari, Fangio, all of them drove, were front-engine cross-ply tires with no safety features whatsoever. And and here is, is where it gets interesting to me with Clark. Because you're right. We can't really compare in many aspects between these eras. We know that Clark was very good at driving that kind of a car. We don't know how he would have driven a modern formula car if he'd come up under modern circumstances. But that's not the same driver. We can speculate, but we don't know. But here's what does interest me about this comparison. Two things. One is the almost universal observation about him as a driver that he was insanely adaptable. He was someone who would drive a car fast and ask for no setup changes where other people's wanted to. And this actually reminds me of Michael Schumacher. Um, at Ferrari, they had, they had done a particular kind of aerodynamic setup with a sharp leading edge to the floor and the side pod. You know, we talked about this. And um, he, uh, I, who was he partnered with? Was it Irvine? Irvine at that point. And uh, Irvine could not drive this car. Schumacher could. And they realized that essentially the sharp leaning edge was causing a stall that would roll down the side of the car, make it very unstable on entry to turns. But Schumacher's braking was so mechanistically consistent, he could just simply deal with it. Irvine couldn't. And when they fixed it, Schumacher's comment was, well, yeah, it's easier to drive, but it's not faster. And this is very much the kind of comment that people make about Jim Clark. So how would he do in a modern era? I don't know. But his adaptability makes me think that, well, maybe. But here's the real thing. Getting aside from equipment, getting aside from everything else, I'm going to drop this little statistic, which I spent hours researching on Wikipedia, which is in 33 pole position starts in an era with massive unreliability, he had 25 wins. The thing about Jim Clark is he is a winner. He is someone who will win the race. And that percentage and his percentage of laps led 
is still a record to this day, as far as I know, 71.47% in the 1963 season. Twice he scored 100% of available world championship points, if Wikipedia wasn't lying to me here, because I was on a train with my phone. It was a little <laughs> challenging in another country to do the kind of research well, I like to but do. But that's quite amazing, because... That basically just says that he's got great mechanical sympathy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He was better and Jackie he Stewart knew how to get the cars. Yeah. Jackie Stewart has always said about the fact that um, Jim Clark knew how to look after a car. And this is the whole thing. It's like, yes, back in the, the, the – could you take Jim Clark if Jim Clark was born in, I don't know, nineteen in 1999? Could Jim Clark be a, an F1 driver today? Probably. But that's with today's technology and things like that. And that's where everything has changed in this sport is the technology to improve drivers. Yeah, no, I I completely agree. But I mean, going back to Matt's point, I think the consistency thing is a really interesting point with Jim Clark because it feels like every era of F1 we have this. I mean, with the Schumacher dominance, then with the Lewis dominance and now with Max's dominance is, oh, it's so boring. You know, they're so clear. They're winning too much. It's all the time. You know, consistency has always been something that people have complained about because they always want the biggest dramatic title battle ever. I mean, don't we all want that? But for me, what it all boils down to is you have to as a fan you know whether you're specifically Tifosi, Orange Army whoever you support you need to be able to appreciate success for what it is you know you need to be able to or at least I'd like to be able to whichever driver wins the race appreciate that success in its own right whether it's Verstappen and his immense consistency whether it's Aston Martin seeing how far they've come anyone and I, I really think that's why me personally, I know this is such a controversial thing about me, but I don't really support anyone specifically. Boo! Get off the fence, Stevens! <laughs> yeah. I'm so sorry. You, you may as well be Chris. <laughs> so sure thing. Why isn't Chris here instead? No, but seriously, like, I th- and that's what this whole thing boils down to, is being able to appreciate someone's success in its own right. Being able to look at Jim Clark and go, wow, he was incredible. Being able to look at Schumacher and say the same thing, Senna, and say the same thing, Lewis and Max, all of the greats of our sport we don't need to compare them comparison is the thief of joy we don't need to say who was better because it's a great debate it would be so cool to have them all lined up in a line and say go and see which one of them wins a race in the same equal machinery you know awesome, yeah, but whatever. if we did cool. that how Clark dare you rob us no but of our primary I, economic I know, I know motivator it's so, here. i know it's such a boring way of saying it but it's it's true i mean it is comparison so, is such such a silly thing to do Matt, given how different I, yeah, it all is i can't get away from okay. the thought that if we just put all the modern drivers the, the drive, this grid, this grid of 20 drivers now, we give them sufficient time to train in the cars of 2005, sufficient time to train in the cars of 1990, 1975, 1960. This generation of drivers, this grid of drivers performs on the whole better than all of those. Groups. I'm sorry. Is this the same generation of drivers where Hamilton is now complaining because the cockpit is 20 millimeters forward <laughs> of last year? He can't fear, yes. feel the rear and, wheels and, and anymore. This, and to be fair, the same generation that can't do a cold tire start. Exactly. Grand Prix without no, skittling into each other. The thing I love about this argument is that is that annoyingly, I really agree with you. I think yes. that the, the physical training and the mental training of the drivers today, there's no comparison to what drivers and in the, the past And the level of had. competition that they have to come And through. the level of competition. But I think that there is something when you look at the winners, let's call it raciness. There are certain people 
who, when you put them on a racetrack, and to me, this always came back to sort of like watching Lance Armstrong in the Tour de France, is like you watch them control a race and you're like, that person is a stone cold killer in competitive circumstances. And I think that if you're going to argue about that sort of qualitative characteristic and you look at the numbers that Clark put up, he's every bit the match for Hamilton and Schumacher or anybody else that came after him. Could he do as well in modern machinery? I can't answer that. But looking at the numbers, he clearly, on in a competitive way, yeah. matches them and deserves to be mentioned in the same breath as them. Raciness, that's the, that's the term you, you've come up with. That's your expert analysis. That's the, the do, best. Do you, I you, hear you coming up with a better are term? Are you trying to coin raciness? All right. Do I hear you coming up with a better term for what I'm talking about? Antonio, raciness, last word. There are 20 drivers on this grid. That's, that's it. 20 at the pinnacle of every single-seater championship of the world. There is 20 out of thousands and thousands and thousands of people. They are all stone-cold killers, or whatever phrase you use to describe them, because if you know, 99%, I'm if sorry, not all Latifi, of them are... I'm sorry, Latifi, really? It, he's a very nice guy. You're not, but not, well, he's not on the grid he's, anymore, he if was, I do He's recall. no Hamilton. Well, that's why he's not or on the grid. Stappen. He's also no Formula One driver anymore. Yeah, that's my, yeah, but, but my my point yeah. is that when it comes to the when it comes to the killer instinct for winning, winning is not a natural human thing. It takes a lot of effort to be the person who says, "Yes, I'm going to do that and beat everybody else." It's not natural. And some people have some people have that skill. They have that mentality, as you will. And I think Clark had it, and I think he had it to the same ability as Hamilton and Schumacher, Verstappen now. And I think that's a fair statement, even if the whole equipment thing can be a distraction. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at UH1.com. This podcast is brought to you by Factor. Healthy eating made easy. Hi guys, Spanners here. I'm delighted to talk to you about our partner, Factor. So if you want Healthy, chef-prepared, never-frozen, always-fresh meals with a 50% discount. Stay tuned for a moment. I don't want to come across as lazy, but when I get in a work tunnel and my stomach says we're hungry, I generally need to sort that out immediately. My stomach is not a patient entity. It sends me round the corner for a hot dog. And yes, hot dogs are the greatest mustard delivery system on the planet, but it's not the calorie-smart choice. Factor gives me... Calorie smart choices, protein plus choices, and even keto choices. And there's enough variety with 60 add-ons to help you stay fueled up and feeling good all day. What are you waiting for? Get started today and get to your goals. It's got things like pancakes, it's got smoothies, midday bites, everything you need. No prep, that's the key one for me, no prep. Factor meals are ready to heat and eat. No prepping, cooking, or cleanup needed. No mess means less to go wrong, and it means I don't have to ask, whose fault is it, when certain people get upset at the state of the kitchen. 
Factor is the perfect solution if you're looking for fast, good food with no cooking required. So, you want that 50% off? Now, when I say 50, it's the numbers 5-0. So head to factormeals.com slash apex50 and use code apex50 to get 50% off. That's code apex50 at factormeals.com slash apex50 to get 50% off. Well, they all went on a bit there. So let's skip on to some of our patron questions. And I've got a great question here from Adam Rosales in our patron Slack group. And by the way, if you think this kind of nonsense should be encouraged and you'd like to join in with the patron activities, consider going to patreon.com forward slash missed apex. We can offer you an ad free feed. We can offer you worse but extra content on our Patreon feed. And we can offer you the sounds of my son very quietly trying to close the door without interrupting us for a home live recording. Patreon.com forward slash missed apex. But uh, in our patron uh, Slack group, we are, uh, the patrons are the first people that we like to talk to. They're the first people we uh, look listen to opinions for and take questions from. Adam asks, money aside, if you could attend any race, which race would it be and where would you sit? And actually, in this current environment, we as British fans are facing for the first time, I think a lot of British fans for the first time are dealing with being priced out of their home Grand Prix. So uh, before I get onto my soapbox, talking about price rises for the British Grand Prix and just being priced out of Formula One in general, I'll turn to my panel and say, what, where is your bucket list F1 experience. Antonia, you've been uh, watching Formula One since 2000, since you were born, since you were incubated in an F1 content creator uh, pod pod and and, (laughs) and birthed onto TikTok. Um, Firstly, where have you been to watch Formula One? Because I, I am, and and Matt, as, as F1 fans, it's sort of like, it's a shame, but we know the reasons why we've been to very few live races so where have you been on the f1 circus my first ever race was silverstone last year nice full stop yes that's all of them welcome yes thank you (laughs) i um i mean for starters before that i was probably too young to enjoy it anyway given that i'm still clearly in the minds of most people here yeah (laughs) (laughs) but no i think it's a really good point you've made i haven't bought silverstone tickets this year i i would kill to go to be honest mm. but I, I can't justify the price personally it's just yeah. silly i mean so, so you're, thursday you're alone not... is what 130 pounds it's, it's yes so, it's so, so expensive. You're, you're not on your own uh, you're not on your own at all i've only been uh, to see f1 cars at silverstone twice and i've been to silverstone more than that and that has been because for example WEC is is quite is quite um is quite a, a good value day out actually and you get to see a lot of cars on the wet calendar but there there hasn't been a six hours of silverstone on the wet calendar for a while so that's a shame because me and my boy really did enjoy going and seeing that and actually there was f2 on that on that calendar as well and i was trying to really get him involved in the single seaters and uh so we're watching the f2 and and it's these kids just flying off track and like hitting there was a couple of kids just went just nose first into the luffield stands and the luffield barriers and he just did not like the single seaters. As soon as the safety car came out, which was like some kind of metallic blue Porsche, his eyes were turned. And he was like, oh, my God, this is amazing. So when the like Porsche Super Cup or whatever it is came out, he was like, Dad, I prefer the ones with the roofs on. And my 
my heart broke. My heart broke. Um, so you can go and watch good, good, uh, good racing at Silverstone, but at the moment, it's it, even for a lot of British fans now, it's looking like something that is is more and more unobtainable. Which is it's heartbreaking for me because as a as a kid, I was already priced out of of Silverstone. It already felt like quite a middle class thing to do, and that's how I built up these marvelous looking, handsome and heavy chips on my shoulders. And as I've got to the point where I'm an adult and I'm allowed to choose how I can spend my money, all of a sudden I am I find myself as a responsible adult uh, family man. I find I find myself priced out of my home Grand Prix, and I'm looking around the calendar and saying, "Is there places that I could fly to and go and have a Grand Prix weekend for the same amount of money?" And the answer is the answer is probably yes. So let's go around our panel and say, "Money, no object." Where do you want to go on the Grand Prix circuit? And what corner would you sit at? Who's got an answer for me? Antonia Rankin. Oh, hello, Antonia. Welcome to my house, by the way. Thank you. Yeah, it's nice to have such a a, a, a content creator celebrity, really, in our <laughs> midst. Because you have the highest following out of any of the uh, crusty old men you have chosen to spend your Friday evening with. Yeah, I'm so cool, aren't I? 60,000 so cool. TikTok followers. Yeah, gosh. Yeah. It's, uh, so it, do- it doesn't feel real sometimes. I yeah. think, you know, it, it, it's so cool that I have that many friends. You know, yeah. the little if loser in me is like, oh friends. my God, they are my friends. You know, they, they comment and we, we have a little <laughs> chat and it makes me feel so cool. What is the highest amount of views you've had on a TikTok video? Two million. Get out. Yeah. Is that the one where you did a sand A shape? sand. I'd made a Formula One car out of sand. It, okay. It took a one really losery afternoon on yeah. holiday. And okay. A, yeah. It was great. I had my Factor 50 on. I yeah. wasn't listening Wait, to which anybody. which regulation set? It did. It, 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 no, it was... It, no, no, no. To Cigar be fair, car. No, it was pre-2018 because there was no halo. I, um, fair, 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 fair. I actually... That's I just I, that, couldn't I, figure out curious. how to defy gravity. That made it structurally easier, of course. Yeah. yeah. So does it ever terrify you to think, like, what if, what if I had two million people in front of me giving my F1 opinion? Uh, to be honest, I can't even picture, like, what 100 looks like. You know, no. you know trying to visualise crowd sizes. Mm. But no, the, I think the, 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 my favourite thing about my TikTok is it feels... I always say when I'm on my live streams, when I'm chatting to my followers, that it's like our little corner of the internet where there all of go. us nerds come together and we learn about F1 together and we have a little chat and we all share our passion. And it's just the best. I love it That's so like much. That's like us, Matt, except we've, we've got dozens I, I, I have I have virtually double digit followers now. There we go. But look, look we we posed the uh, the question to Antonio. Where would you sit yourself for any Grand Prix in the world? For me, when I think about F one, it's Spa. It's for me that is. So you like synonymous. terrible weather. This is very I'm British English. of you, actually. <laughs> I'm used to the rain. I don't even feel it anymore. No, I, I, honestly, I would give my left arm to go there, even without an F1 race there, just to kind of take it all in. Because for me, growing up, that was, you know, of course, it's always been on the calendar. To me, Spa is F1. And I would, yeah. oh gosh, I would just, I would cut off my hand to go there, to be honest. So Spa is like one of the, the old school Formula One tracks that yeah. definitely still suits modern F1 cars. There's, I mean, that that straight from uh, from from a Rouge, Radion, up over the hill towards Le Combe, it, it just gives, it gives such good racing opportunities because they're already at such a great speed 
by the time they get to Eau Rouge. And it's pretty much flat now, uh, except you can have some shenanigans if there's cars around you. And it always just leads to these dramatic events. I mean, the most recent one, Lewis Hamilton, 2022, uh, uh, trying to get around the outside of um, trying to get around the outside and hold the outside of Fernando Alonso. So I think those classic moments are going to keep happening. And I think Spa will will keep being a, a classic F1 track. Oh, completely agree. And I would plonk myself right at Eau Rouge. That would be my go. At the bottom of the hill. Uh, maybe more. A bit, uh, yeah. Mm, no, maybe Radion then up a bit. Yeah. I don't know. For me, though, that's... You don't that's... have to call it Radion. You can call it Eau Rouge. We all the whole thing. About. The whole well, thing is Eau Rouge. Radion, Chris, isn't Chris it? Chris Stevens isn't here going, excuse me. Actually. <laughs> the no, end of the Camel Street, if you're going to be anywhere. <laughs> but yeah. that that's, yes. for me, because yeah. that's, to, in my opinion, the most iconic place at the most iconic track at my absolute favourite type of motorsports that would just be my absolute dream come true nerd fantastic experience it, it's not a um it's not an actual place where you can go and sit but i'd be at that position at the top of eau rouge where the camera normally is and you just see them pop over the hill oh, that, that's the place i mean i'd probably get no, but then murdered, you can't but see that's the... where i'd want to sit no you have to sit at eau rouge. right here's me <laughs> here's me nerding out of it because if you well, sit this at, podcast is for? if you sit at ex- <laughs> exactly the right place you can see them coming up the hill because they get a good send out of la source coming round the corner up the hill towards eau rouge if they've got the good send then they have they're already on track for a fantastic lap up the hill they basically flat out it nowadays and then they disappear around the corner after radion in that to me there is nothing more exciting and if you can just sit yourself in exactly the right place where you can see yeah. them coming and see them a, disappear you basically want to be attached to a drone hang on uh, Kyle, Kyle has been there at Kyle's that position. been to loads though. oh come on then Kyle, <laughs> Kyle what's that like I've actually been there and it was in the time when Friday practice was two one and a half hour sessions so I was quite privileged to have a good walk around the track which is really quite long um, I found the best place for Eau Rouge was literally standing above Eau Rouge, the Red River that runs underneath it. There is a stream, that's why it's called that, right at the base. If you stand there on the base at the apex, you get to see the cars come very close to you and then disappear off up the hill. At the top of Radion, when you're looking, it looks really quick, but the gradient almost ruins the speed aspect for you. You see them coming from a long way off and it looks less impressive from up the hill than it did at the bottom of the hill. So if it's in your point of view, for saying to go to stand at Eau Rouge, I would always choose to stand at the bottom of Eau Rouge. It sounds very boring, but actually when you're there in real life, it looks much more impressive. Because that's where the the direction change happens. Yeah, yeah, you've got the compression direction change and everything happens and they're closer to you. When you stand at the top, you're very far away from the cars and at a weird angle. So you look slow, a bit like the TV angles. And, and actually, I think a little bit from head on, the cars can look a bit, little bit slower. Well, so if but you're, it's, it's yeah. good Absolutely. to get to see them for longer, though, no, I guess. Because that's why when I went to Silverstone last year, we sat at Village because we thought maximum car time. And, and that yeah. is true because you do see a lot of great racing at Village as they come as they come through. And you really do. Um, you hear that kind of. The, the big, clunky, struggling downshifts as the engine is straining because at that point, they're, they're pulling down the gears to help them brake into, into, um, into village and then through uh, the turn down to the Wellington Strait. So that, that is a good value place oh, to sit, I would, sure. Yeah, if, if, if anyone is looking to go to Silverstone in the future, that is, in my opinion, yeah. the it, place to sit. It, the one time I've been to the British Grand Prix was in 08, was that fantastic race in the wet. Um, I was sat at Luffield. 
So, and obviously it was the it was the old layout, so mm. you got to see them come through bridge and that whole section. So, th- as far as value, that was that was awesome. But um, it, and there's a big TV screen. And there was a big TV screen. But, <laughs> that, but, that's also something but, to look out for, though. But uh, again, the thing is, is obviously I've always been priced out of the market. I mean, the, when when I went when I went to the British Grand Prix, it was a birthday present, and nothing's ever sort of yeah. come for that since. And I just can't see the value in it. And um, Brad went last year, and he went general admission. And he absolutely yeah. loved it. And he said, I would absolutely go general admission next year. And I was like, right, I'm going to go with you. And we then looked at the prices this year. Yeah. I, 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 I've, actually, I've actually got them out of my head for what Sunday general admission was because it just was not worth it, especially because my wife is also an F1 fan as well. So she would definitely not be one for being left out on that. So, you mm. know, it, it completely killed it. And look, um, just want to say, if you are going to go general admission at Silverstone on a Friday or a Saturday... You you have to go and stand at the beginning of the famous uh, Maggots Beckett's complex, and as as we, I've seen it front on from the end as you go onto the hangar straight, and it, I haven't. Do you know the one time I drove uh, on Silverstone was in the wet in Peugeots with Alex, and we got uh, Sam Watley hooked us up with these two oh six, yeah. And and it was wonderful because obviously all the seats are stripped out and it is just made for racing. There was no grip at all. My my tactic generally for motorsport in the wet is to just pull over and wait, <laughs> wait, wait for the conditions to improve. It was that's that. not dissimilar to F one actually. It was, yeah, no, that's true. <laughs> but it was that it was that wet that I missed Abby, which is the turn one right hander kink. I just missed it, and then I panicked as I went into the runoff and ended up spinning and going around there. Uh, but no, but if you stand at the front of the Maggots Beckett's complex, so just as you go through cops, and then just let the cars boom past you. And then watch the direction change. It is phenomenal to see machines change from left to right and that weight transfer. It's like watching gigantic nuclear skelectric because it just feels impossible that those cars could be able to do that. Yeah, I don't bring that up because I actually have driven it. <laughs> I knew you. Trump you know. card played. What, what did you drive through Maggots Beckett? Um, so I did the, the, na- we did the, we did the national be, circuit, didn't we? This would be my friend yeah. Pip Hammonds. We love Pip. Voxel Nova, uh, which he raced to multiple championships in the 750 Motor Club. Multiple championships. And the only thing I can say about it is that uh, when I was driving with him, when he was driving, we were catching cars like Porsche 911s and Ferraris in the turns, and they were slowing us down. There we go. I won't take any 911 slander. I just want to put that out there. One of my it's favorite not, cars it's ever. It's not slander. It's not having it. It's, it's the an, driver, not it's the an car. Absolute, uh, okay. It's an absolute As, as long fact. as it's a hit on the drivers and not the cars it's themselves. An absolute because, fact. Whew. So, um, so Antonia's uh, initial point was that she would sit at a Rouge. Right. Or, or, but but you, you, was, you were challenged that and saying, Le Com. But to be honest, is it, it's not well, Sandovot. No. What's, yeah, the, what's turn the end, one? I think Le the end of the... Le Sors. So I always get Le Sors and Sandovot. Uh, mixed up but actually this is a, a bit of a conundrum for a lot of tracks where you go during the race the most spectacular thing to see would be Eau Rouge or Maggots and Beckett's but there's also so many tracks where you just go is it worth being at turn one just for lap one turn one so you look at like Hungaro Ring the 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 right hand uh, hairpin is very high on my list Matt. 
just yeah. to watch well, Bottas take out the whole grid. <laughs> and that would have been okay. I, I just, On purpose, apparently. And, and to watch Ocon win a race. But no, I, my argument oh, yeah. is that if you're going to pick a place at Spa, you're either picking the bus stop or you're picking the end of the Kimmel straight because yeah. that's where you're going to see a majority of the passing occur. Mm. Yeah. But I, I want to speak to Jeansy here. Uh-oh. A direct specifically. address. Oh, run. <laughs> because like you, I am married and I have a wife. And what I can share with you is that there are two things you need. One is you need to know someone who will simply give you VIP passes. Oh, that's <laughs> always the best. To the yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't know that. And two Thank is, you, Estrella Galicia, for 2021. Thank you. And, and, number, and number two is to then go to a race that would be a destination where your wife wanted to be. Because I was fortunate enough to have that experience at a Formula E race in New York. And my wife, who will admit that she will only watch some of DTS and be a fan only because of that absolutely had the best day of her life with that setup. So if it was me, because I know she'd want to go there, I'd probably pick either Hungary, because she has Hungarian ancestors, so that would be a thing that's relevant to her. But really, I think I would probably pick Singapore, because, wow, VIP passes at Singapore? I mean, oh my goodness. Fortunately for me, my wife would go to any Grand Prix, because nice. because Lauren loves, Lauren loves F1, so <laughs> that's never an issue. But I think, for me, if we're going around the table on this, where would, yeah, where yeah. would you go, where would you sit? Yes, for me, it's my favorite circuit, it's Suzuka. I would die that would also be a great one that's a killer choice be at turn one for the start of the race and then make my way over to watch them come through degna one because the speed that you have to carry into degna one to then get it slowed for degna two is just the most amazing because you can't because i'd love to sit on board through the s's but you couldn't really watch it very well through the s's so for me suzuka would just be an absolute dream location and uh, Kyle, have you got a dream location? Yes, I've been quite fortunate to be at Alex's dream location. I have sat at all the corners he just mentioned <laughs> at Suzuka and watched Formula 1 go through, and it is amazing. But um, this is going to sound a bit of a boring one, and it's quite on topic of what we have discussed, but the best place of the, of the many circuits I've seen Formula 1 at is standing on the entrance to Maggots and Beckett's complex at Silverstone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If I could have the money, if I could have a, an exclusive seat to stand on the inside, mm-hmm. the very first left on the inside of that complex, you can get so close to the cars and you watch. One of my most mind-blowing memories of Formula One was 2004, at the start of qualifying, I saw Schumacher and everyone go through there and it was just draw on the floor stuff and then i walked up and managed to get to the entrance of stow by the end of end of qualifying the end of the last session of qualifying and it was draw on mm. the floor stuff but if i had a choice in a complete fantasy world as we are yeah, in yeah yeah totally um, yeah i would like to sit on casanova corner on magello because formula 1 went there in 2020 Mm. And it was He's probably about motorbikes again. No, oh, I'm not about Kyle. motorbikes at all. <laughs> but but that was Formula One and Lewis Hamilton. You can see it on YouTube. Lewis Hamilton's pole lap around Mugello in 2020 is probably the most jaw on the floor Formula One footage I have ever seen. More so, so I would than love Russell's. Much so than George Russell's. What George's lap was incredible. He was like ragged edge stuff. What Mugello? I didn't even see that. <laughs> 
Okay, okay, good. Well, that's a nice uh, Antonia Rankin. Yeah, uh, just to touch on what Kyle said, I think that's why it's so important, though, that we are mindful of the accessibility of these races because... You know, yeah. th- these memories, like like Kyle, you've just spoken about, they're so pure joy for F1 fans. And I wish everyone could experience. I mean, when I was at Silverstone last year, I, I can't even begin to say the smile that was on my face all weekend, the joy that I felt all weekend. I was just jittering the whole time. And I think that's why it's such a big issue that so many fans can't afford to go to races nowadays because... We're denying so many people of these pure moments of just enjoyment and love of the sport and sharing our love of the sport with everyone, which for me is one of my favourite things, personally at least, about being a creator, is sharing my love of the sport with everyone. So these ticket prices, whoever is in charge of that, please bring them down. Stop making less money so that I can enjoy (laughs) stuff. Speaking of content creators, we are joined by one of my favourite content creators on the internet who, despite having a fantastic uh, iRacing stream and iRacing channel, cannot adhere to basic timekeeping. It is Scott Stuffy Tuffy. How's it going, Scott? I'm good, thank you, Spanners. Yeah, sorry yeah. I'm late, everyone. To be fair, it was the reason I'm late is very important. I was waiting for some new parts for my sim rig. So okay, there was well, a uh, reason it for it. It was my screen practice. Yeah. The, game of just... the game of Twister that just happened on the other side of the shed was so <laughs> worth it. So Music thank you chairs. for being late. Can we, just, slims. can we just commend everyone's ability to not get distracted by that as well? Yeah, I know. Pure you chaos are. in the corner of my eye. Oh there. my goodness, like Antonio, you are an absolute pro. What I wouldn't, I, say? I wouldn't have let Matt speak. Well, three grown men, massive like hurdles. What was that? There were yeah. limbs in places that yeah. limbs should not be. I, I'm, but, surprised, yeah. I'm just surprised one of us didn't get cramped. To be honest, exactly. <laughs> uh, but that's Such the beauty the of uh, of the of these uh, live shows. <laughs> and by the way, guys, if you're listening to this, the whole point of us uh, all gathering here in my in my shed is just so we can see if we can do live shows and stand each other's company for a little while because Mist Apex is going on the road and I am speaking to a venue as we speak about having in the summer our first Mist Apex live show ever that doesn't revolve around a karting event. So uh, I hope a bunch of you will will join us for that. I'm hoping that we can get a, a an audience of 40 or 50 people to, to come and, and, and hang out somewhere in London. Yeah, if you guys have watched the Grand Tour of Top Gear, it's like that, but with considerably cooler hosts. Yeah, and we will definitely be plastered. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so basically, no, speak for yourself. Basically, <laughs> I'm going to stay away from the red wine this time. Though. <laughs> oh, <God>. <laughs> <laughs> which, uh, which means that you know that that ruins half the entertainment uh, at least. But Scott Tuffy, uh, a, a relatively recent addition to the Missed Apex panel, uh, go and check out Stuffy's sim racing channel. Where the, the number one thing you do, Scott, that I am jealous of is keep your cool when random sim racing people just wipe you out, like Van Gene. Yeah, I've yeah. never wiped him out. Thank you very much. No, we haven't actually. This is Cat. That's because I'm always in a t- higher splitting. Oh, Jesus. Oh, okay. that's that's fired. Fired. <laughs> yeah, that's right, Van Jean. Off the mic. I was trying to paint this harmonious picture of the Mist Apex crew. Yeah, no, I, I, I do try and keep my cool because uh, as the internet is a very fickle place, it if is, you yes. say something that. Uh, you don't want to get cancelled. Yeah. It can be t- yeah. completely taken out of context, although I would. I think a lot of people do try and just uh, I do try and justify it sometimes if I do lose a little bit of my call. But yeah, no, I do try. As I said, years of practice of losing my temper at, at playing golf. Um, 
I've now, as I've got older, I've, I like to think I'm wiser and a little bit more calmer. Yeah, that certainly hasn't worked for me. But we've been talking about the fan experience and uh, attending Formula One races. You have just had a, a great fan experience, which is a visit to the Mercedes factory. And I would love to hear your experience. I mean, I'm wondering, you know, is it like... Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, were the workers looking at you suspiciously, telling you deep secrets, but through the form of song, luring you deeper and deeper into a trap? There were some Oompa Loompas that went through a right. door, but I have no idea where it went to. Um, yeah, no, it was an unbelievable experience. I was fortunate enough to be invited. It was a, a comp- winner of a competition. Oh, you got it um, from being good at sim racing? It was, yeah, wow. yeah. Qualified Gosh. for... Uh, that they had like IWC, their watch partner. They had a, an iRacing event, qualified for it. And to be fair, I have to put all the credit down to the team because it was because my teammates. Oh, were don't in. Lewis Hamilton us! No, it was. I was terrible. Uh, yeah, I, man. Pit stop run at the factory. Yeah, yeah. yeah. and the crowd. <laughs> the crowd. You were like the extra pit stop man, guys. No, come on. It was down to you. You okay. did good. I'll take credit for it. It was all because yeah. of me that we was there. But no, it was a great experience. <laughs> <laughs> um, we had to hand over our phones. There were certain things. Really? Wow. Yeah, I mean, there's certain things I, I can talk about. To be honest, I had designed an NDA. Oh, you did? Yeah, but I can't tell you any secrets that they had because I wouldn't be able to... If Matt went for it, we'd be secrets? able to go, oh, hang on, hang on, hang on. No, not really. Oh. No, there was lots of designers yeah. there and was the there? screens open. Okay, so who's but, the most like, high-profile How did you not take loads of pictures with your phone illicitly? <laughs> yeah, true. I didn't have a spare. Phone. Just because you would try yeah. it. I was very tired of a secret. I, I actually and got upbraided at my very first Formula E race for just like wandering over and taking pictures of things that I was interested in. So, yes, I would exactly wow, do that. Smart. The most person, you're always about to say the most famous person I bumped into. Yeah, yeah. High profile. Uh, the only high profile person we bumped into is James Allison. And funny enough, he's been in the news recently. Yeah. He's not working in F1. Um, but he was at the factory. <laughs> he, was, he was in. He was walking. We'd just gone through the office of mm. the designers, which is just two hundred and fifty odd designers yeah. they've got Gosh. in this office, which is unbelievable. Um, yeah, he he just walked past and wow. the, guy, the tour guy was like, "You're right, James." And the guy was like, <laughs> "Yeah." He was, so he didn't stop and talk to you. He just happened to no, see him walk, in the wild, literally walking past in the yeah. corridor. Yeah, yeah. Like, and yeah. you had no questions for him. No, no. So quiet. Oh, you should have turned on the Essex really? charm in their designer's office. Oh, just... hello, Ali, Ali, yeah. baby. How's it going? No, it was a. It was the, the biggest thing I took away from it was just the level of coordination. Yeah, but I mean, they've got over two thousand people working there, and you you think it's all lip service when Lewis Hamilton at the end of the race goes, yeah. everyone back at the factory, everyone yeah. back at the factory is. Oh, it's because of you guys. Until yeah. you actually see it in person and you realise what goes into creating just two cars is unbelievable. What I love about this is, is like, I, I know we have a race coming up, a 24-hour race. Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah. oh. no, and and, and <laughs> I always love talking to you about this because you don't like this style of racing. Not because uh, you don't like racing It just cars. takes too long. Yeah, not because it takes too long. Yeah. Does it, it take twenty four hours? But, that, is, that is why I don't like. But it. because you have teammates, you are terrified of letting oh down. Oh my god! And I, so, yeah. And one yeah. of the things that I, I love to point out about, you know, we all see the drivers, and you're like, oh, they're driving a car. How hard could that be? And the answer is, it's extremely hard. Mm-hmm. 
But one of the hardest things I would imagine being a driver is knowing to the degree that Stuffy just described to us exactly how many people are going to be let down if, like, you miss your breaking point by one and a half meters in a race in one out of 60 laps. Or you press the brake bias, brake magic button, Lewis. Bingo. Well, that too. I was trying to be kind, but yeah. I... Yeah, yeah, no, I mean, I visited the Alpine factory last year. It was a fantastic, phenomenal experience. And even though, I mean, I think it's about a quarter of the workforce, but even then, you just get a sense of the scale of everything. It's insane. You know, I was holding these single parts of cars that took five years to design, and it's so intricately done. And it, honestly, even when you know the engineering side of sport and you appreciate the engineering side of the sport, actually... Be- being able to comprehend it is something else. Most definitely. Because you, you hear of it, you, you get all these numbers thrown about and until you actually see it in person. And I think I think that's why some drivers as well, I can see why they probably don't like going to the factories. They don't like going to the bases because if if they are more of a people person, then they're going to have this pressure on them, an extra added weight of pressure, but I'm letting all of these people down if they make a mistake on track. Whereas if they stay detached they're able to just focus on their main job. But because of simulator work now and stuff, they're And, and you really required. get a sense of that at the factory, do you? Definitely. Yeah. Yeah, and is that definitely. a money-can-buy tool? Like, could I, could I buy no. that? No, so Mercedes only offer this to their partners, oh. so their sponsorships, and or you have to be invited, or unless you work for IWC or Petronas or something. So, um, yeah, no, it was a great experience. It's like, could you imagine being Mick Schumacher? after almost every race where you've caused some sort of <laughs> massive damage to the car, yeah. having to go back to the factory and look at all those people in the eye and go, I'm really sorry I screwed yeah. up your car. Mm. But it's funny, I've had, a, I've had a similar experience to, to Scott with regards to factory tours. I got to go see, this is a long time ago now, I got to go see the Williams factory. And again, it was just, even back then when they still weren't a, a top-running team, it was, it was after their glory time, the factory is precision and you just look at these places and you don't understand how they could possibly not build something that's Mm. the best thing that you can possibly build and they are just unbelievable places of absolute excellence yeah so when it goes wrong you're going you've got the highest possible grade thing that's going wrong because they put nothing to chance it's incredible scott big takeaway from from that factory tour though did you sneak in and see them building the secret, beast back. secret side pods. That's beast what we back. need to know. Beast back. Is it happening? I, I cannot confirm or Scott. deny. Uh, no, unfortunately, mm. the one thing which they did say we was hoping to see was them fire up the W14. Yeah. Uh, another version of the car that they've got there. But it wasn't the case. But I did see two W13s stripped uh, back. I, I think I'm fair to say. In the I'm bin, say hopefully. That. Yeah, well, mm. funny enough, they used them because, yeah. <laughs> because obviously they're still Effigies. learning from pre- the previous yeah. year um, and because it's still the ground effect, they are still using those chassis. They're still using the car, and I saw it stripped back uh, a couple of them, and it was amazing. also saw Michael Schumacher's uh, 2012 car as well in the showroom section in the factory. But it's just how pristine the whole place is and yeah i'm sure there was parts there that they was working on but it was all obviously stuff i don't know I'm, lo- I'm i'm not a body language expert but i'm looking at scott stuffy tuffy 
He's lying. He's, not he's lying. Us every <laughs> day. He's lying. No. Well, we Has he did, got a Twitch? Well, we did, and um, this was not part of. We yeah. got. I got told there's a big upgrade coming. A vi- vis- a visually, visually upgrade uh, coming see. in a couple of races. Side pods. Most likely, I reckon. Yeah. Surely. Okay, so, Total, Total wasn't there for me to. Well, let's hope the they don't take too really. much inspiration from that W13. It's <laughs> yeah. purely to learn from. So, so I guess it's all back. The, the big question from a kind of a, a fan speculation point of view, Matt, and from a tech side, and I'm looking more towards yourself and Antonia here, is the increased performance in Australia. And in fact, in, 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 in Saudi and Australia has got everyone thinking, actually, maybe, maybe they've just got their crap together with the package that they've got going. There's a lot of people, strangely, that are accusing them of hiding a little bit of performance. I think not in not in the, not in the fact that they're actively holding back performance, but in that they are hiding the potential that they've got. They're downplaying it, saying, "Oh no, we need to completely change concept." When in fact, if they just maybe got things together a little bit more, got the setup right, got themselves in the right window, they might have a much more competitive package than has been apparent, say, especially out of Bahrain in race one. Well, I'm not going to say I had this conversation with Summers yesterday at dinner. Okay. But the the reality of the Mercedes package is that I believe it is really competitive for beating everybody but Red Bull. Yeah. And that's not really sufficient for Mercedes. Like, I think uh, circuit-specific developments if they they went all in on this season yeah they could maybe take second in the constructors lewis might beat perez or russell i mean one never knows but the reality is mercedes knows looking at the numbers they've not got a concept right now that can beat red bull and therefore they're not interested in anything other than beating red bull yeah, no, I mean, I I do agree. I mean, being good will never be good enough. They, every team wants to be great. But the tech is either there or it isn't there. You know, the concept and the actual technology that the team have are two completely different things. You know, they can have, they can have everything planned out, mapped out the perfect car. But if they haven't actually got the execution, that's what matters. And I've lost a bit of faith in the or belief in the idea of sandbagging or, you know, they're hiding their full performance because why on earth would they do that? There's no point now in playing oh, okay. the underdog. They are the underdog. <laughs> so, so, okay, so let me clarify what I meant there. It's not that they're actively holding back performance. I think they might look at the the, the fact that they've not been able to, to maximise their results and go, oh, yeah, no, it's really terrible. We're lost. We do have to go to this B concept. The thing that they could be hiding is that actually they just need to unlock a little bit of the potential of the package that they've got and they're probably going to be there or thereabouts. Well, yeah, well, exactly, but th- that's the thing. They either, if if the car they have now is, in theory, the perfect car and they've just got to make a couple of tweaks, that actually seems like a bigger leap because the team then have got to figure out what has been under their nose and what they've been missing and make a big technological advance. That's actually, in theory, harder than changing everything about the car because then at least you can say, well, the issue wasn't the car, it was the whole thought process. Whereas this way, they've got to find the most intricate, small, maximising detail and somehow draw that out, identify it and perfect it, which is, in theory, really difficult. Matt. Yeah, well, I mean, this is the issue of 
you know, you got to kill the babies. What? Gotta drown do, the we? Kittens. Wait, do we have to drown this kittens? Has, I do not endorse the killing of babies or kittens. But you, you have to be willing as a Formula One team to, kill- to say that your baby, your idea, okay. your concept. I'm so glad this is a metaphor. The lawyers are on the phone. <laughs> is, is not viable. Yeah. Put it in a bag. Drown it in a river. No. And move on to the next one. See, this show is going to need to be so heavily edited. This no, <laughs> no. Do I, I didn't say anything about drowning anything. But so I'm okay. But uh, cut it right there. No. Press play now. And I'm sorry. I'm going to point my finger over at Scott here. Scott would definitely drown kittens. And 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 oh. and oh. and yeah. just from you know your WhatsApp reportage of your factory tour. I think that's very much where Mercedes is right now. They have and, – and it's a, it's an alluring thing. It's like being an addict. Oh, I just need one more hit of meth and I will have a business that takes the world by storm. Like, like the numbers in the wind tunnel, the numbers I see in the simulators are so addictive because I can see them being so much better than anything that's out there now. But – those numbers aren't a reality. And the reality is the Mercedes concept, as we see it now, will, as good as it is, and and I wouldn't even take it away, taking a race or two from Red Bull at very specific circuits that suit them, is not a concept that over the course of a season will beat Red Bull. And they have to acknowledge it. Yes, Scott. And move on. Yeah. Stuffy. Well, yeah. Uh, well, you're not too far off the point there, apart from killing babies and taking meth. Um, <laughs> analogies, analogies. The risk apex lawyers would very it's, much like you to know to those fair, were, we, we are in complicated Essex. literary devices. Also, we are in Essex and we have to respect the culture of where we are. Well, 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 as an Essex girl, let's be so kind oh, about Essex. Essex. <laughs> it's funny that you do say it because I did ask the uh, Mercedes guy who was taking us around and I did right. ask him I said why have you not I'm really surprised none of the teams and you in particular have not protested any of the Red Bull car I said why Why is that and he said plain and simple we need to completely understand why they're so fast and we don't yet know that which correlates to the fact of that uh, they can't translate what Red Bull are doing into their own car and the other teams are the same because considering how much Mercedes were protested by Red Bull in the past and other teams. I, I, yeah, I thought that was quite a pertinent question and clearly they just don't quite have their own concept down or understand why Red Bull was so fast in this new Grand Effect era. Completely agree. I think the thing that's got all of the teams trumped isn't the fact that Red Bull's so fast. It's how on earth they're doing it. You know, there haven't been any even attempts at replicating the speed of Red Bull just because they don't even know where to begin these teams. You know, it's like if you gave them a Red Bull car and told them to take it apart and tell them, you know, report back what was making it quick. They'd still shake their heads and have no idea what was happening. It's it's not so much as the facilities and they don't have the tech compared to Red Bull. It's that they don't even have an idea, which baffles me because it's such a huge gap. You mu- you would think it was almost like their MGUH has switched on and everyone else's isn't. It's huge. And how can something so huge be eluding such industry experts, you know, Adrian Newey is 
wow, he's incredible. You he's know, quite the good. best ever. But, um, yeah. but he's not superhuman. Mm. Isn't he, though? He works Isn't with he real though? physics, real maths. In theory, it can, it can be replicated. So mm. how is no one even close? Yeah, and that is something that, that the rest of the F1 teams are going to figure out. And they've had three weeks extra to figure out because of this winter break. And I hope you've enjoyed this attempt at filming a Missed Apex podcast with people in the actual shed. So I would say go and follow my panel just off camera, the Statler and Waldorf of Missed Apex. Kyle Power, say bye, Kyle. Bye. At Kyle Power F1. Uh, Gene Z, follow Gene Z uh, at Alex Van Gene, V A N G E E N on Twitter. Go and follow Alex there. Go and follow, of course, Matt at MattPT55. Follow Antonio Rankin at Antonio F1. F1 Antonio. You do this at every F1. time. So I don't F1 know. Antonio. F1 Antonio. <laughs> but if you go on TikTok and search for F1 Antonio, you'll It'll find all up. the stuff. Uh, where do we find Stuffy on YouTube and Twitch? No, not Twitch. TikTok? He's better than that. Okay. Come on. Come on. A YouTube, YouTube where do we TikTok, find you? Twitter. Okay. All the same. So what do you search for? So much Stuffy, better. and it's like two E's and three Y's. Some, uh, no. Double F, double Y. Double F, double Y. Look for In that, it. it'll come up. In it, bruv. But of course, follow me, Spanners Ready. I'm the best one, at Spanners Ready on Twitter, and Richard Ready on Facebook. Follow the show at Missed Apex F1. Consider being a patron at uh, patreon.com forward slash missed apex if you want to go and find a joe show uh, joe saywood will be doing a live audience go and uh, go and hang out with joe there on the 21st of february by going to missedapexpodcast.com forward slash joe but wherever we see you next work hard be kind and have fun this was missed apex podcast live with these idiots your passion into a business with Shopify and break sales records with the world's best converting checkout. Let's hear that one more time. The world's best converting checkout. Shopify's legendary checkout makes it easier for customers to shop on your website, across social media, and everywhere in between. Now that's music to your ears. Any way you spin it, you can be a smash hit with Shopify. Start your dollar a month trial today at shopify.com slash records. Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware. 
On the 27th and 28th of May this year, Mist Apex Motorsport are hosting a 24-hour sim race at Le Mans. Using the same amazing production team that brought you the Mist Apex F3 Cup, we embark upon a race around the clock at one of the best tracks in the world. Featuring multiple classes including LMDH, LMP2 and GT, this event is open to all levels of driver. So if you're interested in racing in a professionally run live broadcast event with real trophies for all podium finishing drivers and live stewards taking care of the fairness, then you can enter an entire team for just £15. And don't worry if you don't have any teammates yet, there's a section on our Discord server for drivers looking for teams. Ordinarily, to be in a broadcast split of a big iRacing event would require you to have a very high iRating, but that's not the case with this event at Le Mans. Teams of all levels are welcome, and there are separate classes for pro and am teams, meaning you'll be competing against teams of a similar ability to yours. And to give you an idea of just how good the broadcast is, search for Missed Apex Motorsport on YouTube to see all the action from the grand final of the Mist Apex F3 Cup. There are only places for 50 teams, so don't delay and get your team entered today. Email spanners at mistapex.net using the subject line endurance for more information and for links to the entry form. And get involved in the best hosted endurance race on iRacing this year. See you on track on the 27th of May.